Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome to The Shack Show. You know, Rick Riley's been writing about sports since 1979. He's an 11-time National Sports Writer of the Year. He's written 13 books, including The Beloved Missing Links and his latest, Commander in Cheat. And he's covered everything known to man but loves golf almost as much as he loves Italian food and a good story. I want to get Rick on the phone and talk about his new column in the Washington Post. Actually, it's about a week old. The first things I'll do when this is over, it was just vintage Rick Riley. And I really hope you enjoy our discussion of that and many other diverse topics in this conversation with Rick from his home in Southern California. What happened? I loved this Washington Post piece you wrote. It was vintage, and I I, I know that's a cliche, vintage Rick Riley, vintage uh, Jim Murray, whatever you want to call it. What, what happened? You decided to get back in the, in the column writing game. <laughs> One column does not another but it was a good column. make. Really good one. Okay, good. Go. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was just I just kept thinking about what I would love to do the, the minute I got out. And, I, you know, as a consumer of news, everything was yeah. bad. So I wanted to write something good, something that gave some me, you, someone a little hope. So um, I did this thing on what's the first thing I'm going to do when there's a over. Now, that's a long <laughs> way off. Yeah. But... Uh, I'm just the one thing I want to do is spin the toilet paper roll like it's like I'm on Wheel yeah. of Fortune. I'm just going to let loose. You know what I mean? <laughs> so your stockpile <laughs> is low. Is what you have a low stockpile is what you're admitting to us today. I'm doing maybe as they say in the army, one for one square for up, one square for down, and one to polish. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it's really yeah, bad. That's not good. You've got a Costco <laughs> near you. It's not good. <laughs> They're empty. Yeah. Empty. Uh, but then, and then, and then, um, I'm just going to, I think the thing I'm really going to do is blink as I go outside for the first time and see a person, a complete stranger and go up to them with open arms and say, what day is it? Yeah. 
because I have no idea sometimes. I can't tell Sundays from Thursdays. Yeah, I wish people uh, have a good weekend uh, on some Fridays like today when we're recording this. And then I realize, what, what's, what is the point? What's the difference? <laughs> it's pointless. <laughs> uh, but What does it matter? Yeah. But I have done, I've done more writing because I can't get on my paddleboard. I can't get on a golf course. I can't go to Italy. Um, I can play a lot of piano. But three of my four things have been wiped out. I mean, how can they not let me on my paddleboard? But I guess I'm going to upset the fishes. Um, so it's it's been fun. So I, I just sold a book idea, which I can't tell you. No. But uh, I'm writing a couple movies. And, uh, and so every now and then I throw a pitch at the Washington Post or Atlantic. And so it's kind of fun. Well, it was great. It was a fun read. And, and one of the things that uh, you do so well is uh, crack jokes, but this is a time that's really difficult to try and be funny. Uh, it was actually getting that way before this hit. How, how do you, when you sit down to write, do you just decide, well, screw it, people need to laugh and, and we need to take in the, the, the absurdity of all this? Is that how you, you, you go about Because I've struggled with that since uh well really for about the last six weeks of, of, of how do you how do you make light of anything it's it's tricky isn't it you can laugh at anything remember dan jenkins the great golf writer used to tell his kids let's just let's just <laughs> laugh our problems down to pocket size which was such a great line just laugh our problems now this is probably too big to laugh down to pocket size but people do need to laugh i mean this is if, if you can't laugh at this you'll go out of your mind we had a friend talking to a friend last night and I, I really feel like he's kind of cracking up. So I, I've always kind of wrote, I've always written how I want to write and just see what people do with it. And uh, generally it's gone. Okay. So I'm, I'm never going to let someone or the times dictate how mm. I write, but I, I did say in that piece, you know, watching Andrea Bocelli, yeah. you know, you, you and I both love it. Him singing alone. In, in the in the Duomo in Milan, this beautiful gift that no one was listening to in the place, and yet the whole world was listening to, and it was so sad, and yet it was so beautiful, and it was, and and you and you realize we're so alone because we're giving this gift to each other of trying not to make each other sick and die, and it's such a lovely thing to do, and we're so doing it out of love for each other. At the same time, it's so lonely. Mm. So it just you know how. You, I just cried like an idiot. And um, I don't know, that made me think, this is going to end someday, yeah. right? Let's give people some hope. Well, and as you know, a lot of people are clinging to the idea of sports being the, the thing that returns and, and returns their sanity. And it doesn't seem like certain sports can return too soon. Uh, golf is likely to be one of the first. What uh, do you make of this idea of, of, of golf returning and, and no fans or, or a PGA Tour event feeling like a Corn Ferry event on a Thursday? <laughs> is this going to be good for golf or is this risky? Well, first of all, I am so freaking for sports. I'm, I'm getting a facial tick. <laughs> the other day I was walking the dog and these two, these two kids, they were maybe eight and nine, were throwing the football in the alley. And I stopped to watch him throw the football. I mean, did you take I, notes? I, I didn't mean to. Did you bring out? Did you pull but, out your notebook? Yeah, I'm like, I, I like. I said, I like the redhead footwork <laughs> with the, with a you know, nice tight spiral. Um, I wish the tall kid would would catch with his with his hands more than against the body. That's gonna. And then then I realized their mom was looking oh, at me. Yeah. 
And I'm like, I have to go. <laughs> you know, it's really bad, Jeff. It's really getting bad. I, I'm, 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 and I can't bet. I can't, you know, it's just, so I really need sports back. So, yes, bring golf. People are like, oh, it wouldn't be the same without fans. I don't yeah. care. Bring them back. And starting with golf, golf especially. I don't know if you know, you probably do. There was one day uh, in PGA Tour history with no fans. Right. And I think it was a tournament at Congressional after a big windstorm. And there were big branches everywhere. And they played. And they played. And the scores counted. And to me, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch these guys play golf because there's not going to be these freaking Tiger fans who, who put their chest in front of the ball to keep his ball from going way over the green. And when they hit it way the hell right into the crazy stuff that you and I would have to gouge it out of the spinach, that stuff is going to be beat down with, is, is no longer going to be beat down with people's footprints. They're going to actually have to go out sideways. Right now they go there and it's yeah. like, oh, thank you. Same with, what would you say, Jeff? Lost balls. How many lost balls, how many balls are found purely by fans and not the caddy? It's got to be 97%. A lot of those are going to stay lost. Right. You know? And, and lastly, we all know the bailout shot. You know, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a green, it's a par five. You can go for it in two, but there's a big lake left. To the right of the green is the grandstand. Oh, I'll just bail out right if I have to. <laughs> and I get a free drop, right? We don't get that in regular golf. And with no fans, no grandstands. So I think Kepka's right. I think they are going to shoot maybe, maybe, one, maybe one stroke higher, maybe a stroke and a half. I think you're right. They're going to lose some balls. Now, he, he, uh, the headline, of course, when it, on that story was uh, guys are going to lose their balls, uh, which didn't look great. But <laughs> he said it in a way, when you, when you heard him lay it out, you understood it. However, when you combine that with a couple of other comments lately, Rick, what I'm starting to worry about, I, initially it was all about, to me, it was about testing and, 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 and not looking tone deaf to what's going on in the world. And, and I'm confident that these commissioners believe, at least for golf, they're going to be able to test everybody, keep it limited. I think they have some irrational thoughts on who's essential to being on property, shot link and, and nonsense like that. We, we just want to see golf. We don't care if it's a 1960s looking telecast where Dottie Pepper's announcing from her, from her home in Saratoga. But Rick... <laughs> As you saw when you in in the short time you were away from golf, I'm pretty confident you saw a little bit of a change. And one of those changes is they're in a bubble. And this week we we had Scott Stallings say some guys just may not play if they can't have rakes in the bunkers. And Adam Hadwin mentioned that the uh, lack of or, uh, being able to take the flag stick out of the hole because he can't putt very well with the flag stick in, which I understand. But bringing this up looked it sounded ridiculous and i do worry that we're gonna have this bubble burst where some of these players who've been in it are going to be exposed when they come back and play and are whining after the round about a lost ball or a, a putt they just couldn't couldn't get a feel for because the flag stick was in even better even better i love that kind of column these guys are whining <laughs> when people are, are getting moved out of their house they can't pay their mortgage and they're worried about oh i can't putt yeah. I, I don't want to drop in a bunker out of a footprint. <laughs> and by the way, that would be a lovely column. Give me that. See, you please. think of it as the columnist. Yeah. You're still a columnist at heart. I love that. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, 
Every time I go out with the dog, I take a pair of plastic, you know, surgical, rubber surgical gloves. Why can't the caddies wear gloves? Yeah. I don't get the problem with the flag stick. I don't get the problem with the, with the rake. I mean, okay, you don't want to, you don't want to rake. That's fine. Just, but you can't drop out of the bunker. You got to stay in the bunker. It's a hazard. Play it. And not only that, Jeff, you you hire a volunteer on every green. And just he runs the he runs the flag. No yeah, one see, the flag. Okay, that's where I get concerned about the perception thing. So there's 18 more people on the property, and they're gonna they're gonna have gloves on. They're gonna look like Jeeves when they come out and and lift the flag and hold it on on a platter. It, it's just another one of those <laughs> things. Like, whoa, we had to test that person, but a nurse in in Detroit couldn't get a test, and 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 it just looks so. Ridiculous. Whereas I think the people who are thinking about these things just said, "Just leave the damn flag in the in the cup and, and don't be a baby." Okay, it's a perception thing. Just deal with it. And we have exactly. rules now that allow for it, as as you know, the new rules exactly. are gone. And by the way, it was so hilarious to me when people said, "I can't believe NBA players can get tested, and and and, and we we haven't been able to find a test." Really. You're surprised NBA players get free stuff. <laughs> I mean, have you, do you? Do you realize Kevin Durant has ten cars? I mean, do, do you realize that you know these guys used to go through two hookers before every game? Yeah. I mean, you, are you surprised that they get great stuff? Same with PGA Tour pros. Yeah, they're gonna. Oh, so sorry, they get tested. That's life. And by the way, you're never gonna stop this thing. You're unless you come with a vaccine. Or you're suddenly able to get people to freeze in place and then the thing dies. So the question isn't, what are we going to do if someone, the question is, what are you going to do with the tour when someone tests positive? Because I, I keep saying this, there has to be some turning on of the spigot. Yeah. You've got to be able to get to herd immunity, which we know is somewhere between 66 and 68%. And otherwise, you're just sitting around for a year and a half waiting for a vaccine. So are you saying that if one if if Scott Stallings tests positive for coronavirus, that's it? We're shutting down the, the PGA tour? I think we've we've realized we can't do that. We've the world has got to move on to where we can test. Okay, you're positive. Now we quarantine you. Okay, we're we're definitely uh, we're gonna start opening restaurants and we're gonna have a third of capacity. And we're still going to quarantine nursing homes. It's just you're going to have to get the world back rolling again. I, I agree, and I think that's why Jay Monahan came around from from where he was to just saying, "Hey, we've got to have tests." And if you have tests, I, I would also love to see them ask people of a certain vintage, maybe stay home uh, for for the the upcoming months. But to your point, to really get wonky, one of the problems that that they have with that idea of somebody testing positive, uh, they have decided <clears throat> excuse me to try to force the the FedEx Cup to be played this year with not much time and the all of mighty FedEx Cup which not one person who watches those first events cares about um that that player who who tests positive and has to sit out for a while suddenly you know he's done in the FedEx Cup and uh, and he's going to be mad and and it's not right so they 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 they're trying to do a little too much I, I I hope that part of it doesn't backfire yeah. as well so um hold yeah, on we're that's just going to tricky that's tricky we're going to take a quick break here on the Shack show and then uh, talk to Rick about a few more things I refuse 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rick, uh, let's talk about Italy. You mentioned it. You spent some time there. You wrote a wonderful uh, travelogue piece uh, for me that I hope you've now used for for other people uh, during the Ryder Cup when you were there, and it it made my trip. Right. I can't How thank you work? enough. Oh, it was just unbelievable. Can I tell you? <laughs> I've shared it with quite a few people because when I mentioned your amazing travel advice, they said, "Can I? Can I read it? I'm going there." And they did, and they went to all the same restaurants and and just had a, a wonderful time. <laughs> So thank you again so much for that. Um, have you? What well, was you know, it? you're a basketball guy, and um, I gave it to um, this group of people that were going. It included Pat Riley, oh. and uh, Pat just went crazy over some of those places. Can you just tell about the place? 
Can you just tell about the cheese wheel fun, uh, the cheese wheel place? Yeah, well, I put it on Instagram. That that alone, just putting that on Instagram, uh, it, it just was. Uh, it just had people going bonkers. And it's yeah, they serve the pasta and they toss it in the in the cheese wheel, and and it just tastes the heated like, cheese wheel. Yeah, Jeff. they bring the cheese, giant cheese wheel to the table. They heat it from below. They carve out like a little de facto saucepan, and then the fresh pasta, which they've made in the window of the place right. as you're walking in. The ladies in there making the fresh pasta, yeah. throwing it in the air, and then and then they heat it in the and then they pour it onto your plate with a few truffles, and you're just like, mm. well, I'm never leaving here. Just chain me to the radiator. And the truffles actually taste like what you hear they're supposed to taste like versus the ones we have here that just seem like they don't. There 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 isn't much there. You wonder what what's going on. But anyway, well one, well one quick truffle story. So we live in Florence. And we, I used to see this guy walking around with this briefcase, and it was a silver briefcase, and he seemed like a spy or something. Like, was it, was it chained, like it was chained to his to wrist? wrist? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it should be. And it's the truffle guy, <laughs> and he goes from restaurant to restaurant, and they're so expensive. And uh, I asked him, and he said, "I said, what, what, what do you get in a day?" And he said, "About fifteen thousand euro." Oh, wow! <laughs> truffles. Wow. So, when was the last time you were there? Well, we go every year in the fall, but it's, uh, we're trying desperately to go this year. We have so many friends that are just devastated, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Italy will ever be the same. Hmm. What? What, what, do you, what, what, what are people saying? I mean, is there, are they just having the same questions as we have here about dining out and life as we know it kind of thing changing? Or are they? Well, yes, it was just, it was just more, more it was worse. It was that, remember that terrible week in New York where there was a, refrigerated truck behind the Queens yeah. hospital and they were storing bodies. And, and, and that was, that was every week for about three weeks there. And they just like, they, they couldn't see the end of it. So now they're finally starting to get some good numbers and, and sort of coming out of the hole, but um, they're going to, they have this new, they have this new uh, slogan, which is postpone your plans to come to Italy. Don't cancel. Because mm. literally they're barely hanging on. So yeah. I, I, we really want to go and encourage people to go. They're going to be fine if, if, if we don't just abandon them. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, and I, I do hope the everything eventually gets back to normal with travel and the Ryder Cup happens there in, in uh, 2022 or 23, whenever whenever they figure out the, the whole schedule. Please. Thing. But, Please. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about your uh, return. You were to golf you were doing some pieces for the athletic and it was a lot of fun watching you <laughs> try to deal with our, our current interview uh, room setup, And then the, the way the <laughs> players are where they're convinced you're trying to um, find out something about them that is uh, lurid and awful. And when you're just trying to get a few anecdotes and tidbits, what it, did you see just in the few years you, you stopped going to golf tournaments, uh, a change in, in the way the players behave and think of, of media or is it, is it something I'm just perceiving? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was like one time I was in East Berlin before the wall fell and it was starting to feel like that in that press room. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe the, the limit. And it, it reminded me of tennis where you get, you know, seven questions and then Federer walks away and you don't get to follow him or go to his locker and like, what's, what's going on here guys that we used to be able to talk. And yeah. you can still get it done, but 
my God, that Ryder Cup, it was impossible. I mean, it was always hard, but we could always, we could get guys and we, they'd come out of the room for us. And, and you could ask, man, they just, and of course, there was so much emotion going on as always because it's the greatest sporting event in the world. But um, yeah, it, it was like, well, you can't talk directly to me. You've got to go through my PR guy or my nutritionist or my sports <laughs> psychologist or my caddy union guy or whatever it is. So I felt, I felt severely disturbed by what was going on out there. And so that's partly why, hey, one year of that was enough. Yeah. I'm going to go back to books and movies. <laughs> Jesus. But I mean, I did it. I did it so that I could really uh, uh, mine people for Trump stories for my book and a commander in chief. And so many people had stories that the, the paperback just came out. I had to add an extra chapter because so many people stopped me on the street. I had to roll up my car windows. People, I got a story for you. <laughs> and they're not all bad. I mean, he's, he's, as I always said, he's a lot of fun. He, it's not golf when you play with him. I don't know what it is. You're done in three yeah, hours and it's... 20 minutes. Uh, you play through three groups. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he's a guy, he knows everybody. You drive up to the fringe. The, yeah. The, yeah. The circle. Yeah. You drive, sometimes you drive on, you drive on tee boxes. That's wild. There's no honors. <sighs> he always hits first, jumps in his cart and he's off with the, with the caddies. And, um, <laughs> and what was the, the, the guy named Tim Peel, the caddy master at Bedminster called me and says, uh, Oh, I loved your book, but I got some stories. You should have called me. I'm like, I never even heard of you. So I, he goes, uh, do you know that we used to have to buy 2000, uh, bags of 2004 inch extra long green teas for him. And I'm like, so teas aren't illegal. He goes, well, they are when the, <laughs> when the caddies have them in their pockets and they tee him up in the rough. <sighs> And I'm like, oh, because I'd heard so many stories about what a good player he is out of the rough. He goes, that's because we're teeing it up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Makes Judge Smales look like uh, Bobby Jones. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the, maybe the best story was, and kind of funny, um, 2008, Trump-Westchester. Trump is in a scramble. And his scramble team is him, Bill Clinton, Mike Bloomberg, and Rudy Giuliani. Oh boy. It's the Joe Torrey oh, charity scramble. And so off they wow. go and they're playing at Trump's course. And uh, despite the circle of friendship being the size of a Winnebago with Trump, which it always is, he, <laughs> he, um, they don't finish anywhere near the lead. They finish like halfway down. And Trump comes in and he's mad. And he finds this guy, Timothy O'Neill, who was running the um, <laughs> tournament. And uh, he says, hey, I want low individual net today. Give me the trophy. And Tim's like, what? It's a, it's a scramble. Uh, no, I won low individual net. Give me the trophy. And Tim is like, but there is no trophy for that because it's a team event. There's no give me the trophy. I'm leaving in 20 minutes. <laughs> so he doesn't know what to do. He's going to lose the course. He fought his, uh, But one of his staff members, a woman, goes in the women's bathroom, finds, finds a vase with flowers in it, yanks the flowers out, throws them away, dumps the water, hands it to O'Neill. <laughs> O'Neill takes the flower vase up to the podium and says, and now our low individual net winner of the day, Donald Trump. <laughs> and Trump comes to the podium and Clinton and Giuliani and Bloomberg are like, what the hell? Low individual what? 
And, he's, and Tim, like the best, the best part of it was he gave a 12 minute speech about how he did it. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a, well, it's I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too many uh, of the stories from the book, but uh, there okay. are proceeds from the book going to where is it feeding feeding america feeding america org, org. yeah what dollar, is that a dollar per paperback it's a they, i mean i i i was driving by in downtown la and saw a line that must have been three blocks long and it yeah. was the food bank i mean people are starving so this is one little thing we can do and um anyway the book is not especially political it's more fun and um i've had both trump Lovers and Trump haters say they loved it. But then the Trump haters always say the same thing. Yeah, Clinton cheated. He, he cheated, too. And I'm like, yeah, he did cheat because I played with him as president. I said, but it's kind of like the guy that goes in the bank and steals the pen versus the guy that goes and steals the ball. <laughs> like, Clinton would take these things called billigans where he'd, he'd, hit, a, he'd hit a shot and then, and then he'd hit six more from that place. But he'd play the first ball. But then sometimes he couldn't remember which was the first ball. And yeah. then the Secret Service would say, oh, Mr. President, I think it's the one on the green right here. Because every Secret Service guy, when he's done, wants to be ambassador to Sweden. And yeah. that way he shot 82 that day, <laughs> which was the best day of his life. Do you get a lot of hate mail or uh, angry stuff regarding your tweeting, your appearances, uh, anything talking about the book? Or do people just uh, leave you alone? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, yeah, but... Yeah. You know, Mark Cuban taught me something. I mean, not to drop me, but he said, I said, you know, uh, I, I like to tweet and it's fun to give my opinion, but I can't stand uh, all the people, the haters on the note, you know, and the, you know, the, the messages, the replies underneath, right? The notifications. Yeah. He goes, why do you read them? I'm like, I don't know. I thought you were supposed to. He goes, let me ask you this. <laughs> you leave your, you leave your front door open so someone can come in with a baseball bat and hit you in the head. No, you lock the door. So give your opinions and don't read what people say about those opinions. And ever since then, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff has been a joy because Charles Barkley told me once, you know, you could change your opinion and all those people that hated you before would now love you, but all the people who loved you before would now hate you. So mm. what's the difference? I always thought that was smart. Now, um, I want to cover a few writing-related things, but but one of them somewhat similar to what you're doing with the, the book proceeds here, uh, but on a, 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 a grander scale, an unbelievable scale. Uh, it was in 2006, you wrote a column for SI, and it was about, um, well, if you don't mind just telling us and reminding us about Nothing But Nets and what that's done, if you don't mind humble bragging, because I, I think it's, people forget, as you know, very quickly. You're very kind. Uh, and sports fans, are the greatest people in the world. And I'll tell you why, because on May 6, uh, 2006, um, I was in Venice and I was with my daughter and she was 16 years old and she had chopped my legs off and I couldn't do it anymore. And I said, I got to go back to the room. So she came shopping. I see a BBC documentary where the guy goes, did you know 3000 kids a day are dying simply because of malaria, simply because they don't sleep under a bed net. If they would just sleep under the bed net, this mosquito that, mm. that transmits malaria only comes out between midnight and four and they wouldn't die. And especially before, uh, under six years old, they, they are almost certain to die if they get it. And I'm like, come on, sports fans. We love nets, right? We love 
jumping over tennis nets and cutting down basketball nets and a net in our front yard for your kid to play lacrosse and New Jersey nets and girls and fish nets and I don't know, everything. So I said, send me 10 bucks. I, I called the United Nations Foundation. Could I, could I have a little square of your page? I want people to send money to, to raise money for nets. And they said, okay, what do you want to call it? And I said, nothing but nets. And, and the first week we raised over a hundred grand, Jeff, we just passed $70 million. <sighs> we put up 10 million nets. It's still going strong. Um, Trump has kind of hurt us with that drug. I can't even pronounce it. No, Hydroxychloroquine. Don't try it, yeah. We need that for malaria, mm. especially in South America. Um, sometimes people do get bit and that helps us. It, I don't know that it really helps with this. Maybe it does, but it, we're running out. So that really hurts mm. us. But it's been mostly sports fans. And in 10 bucks, um, they, save, they save a life. Don't buy the Britney Spears CD. Send us 20 <laughs> bucks to save your life and the two people. And, and so it's, it takes 41 seconds on nothingbutnets.net. And um, as I say, I'm trying to get Maria Sharapova to help us. And she'll say, why? And I say, look, every time you get hit on by a guy and don't go without the Russian, famous Russian tennis star, every time you turn a guy down, you, you know, you send us a grand. She goes, <laughs> well, why? Nothing but net. <laughs> and I think that would be great, but I haven't been able to get to her. You haven't? Oh, well, she's in, she lives in Brentwood. So uh, I'll let you know if yeah, when anything her. reopens, uh, <laughs> I've seen her and she is legitimately tall. Um, but thanks for bringing that up because we're coming no, up on it's the an, anniversary. It's an incredible story. By the way, the website has it at 47 million. So let's, uh, let's get that updated. Talk to your, uh, talk to your oh, whippers sorry, and, sorry. and uh, let's update the joke, uh, Rick. It's, it's, it's one month of Spotify for the kids out there listening. Just, you know. <laughs> The Brit, nobody buy, actually, it's funny. Nobody buys CDs anymore. I'm actually getting back into both vinyl and my CDs uh, because the audio quality is better. And I just, I just enjoy opening them up and, and touching and maybe looking at lyrics and all that stuff, seeing who played the bass and uh, really important. Right. Things. Well, but, Jeff, uh, Neil Young is on this kick. He says that 93% yes. of the sound is gone from the days of, of analog. Right, we, we've got to get because he says it's it's like a lost treasure. If we if we lose vinyl, we'll never get those sounds back. No, and and I I have it set up now in my office with some speakers, and it is stunning the things you do here. I finally have it right, and the things you hear, even CD versus an MP3, it's 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 uh, incredibly. I know he's tried that different audio format, and uh, but speaking of that, now the other medium that we love uh, that is i believe really making a comeback uh we'll see how how book sales are at, at some point but the physical book i think is still precious to a lot of people from from what i sense uh you mentioned in that washington post column you've been doing some some reading you mentioned uh, uh woodhouse what are the the or who are the people that you still enjoy cracking open a book and reading a little of and, and, and who were the people who, who got you and helped you devo develop your voice the way you did as a writer? Oh, I know it's a long list, but, but who are the, the ones that really started? I ever read was Jim Murray well, of in course, the Boulder Daily Camera. And I was like, what the heck is this? This is the most <laughs> fun, fast, quick, you know, John Wooden square is a pan of fudge and gentlemen, start your coffins and, <laughs> uh, you know, Boog Powell is the approximate size of the Chicago Hilton. And just like, what is this? 
and it was fantastic. And then I had the great luck, stroke of luck, to get hired at the LA Times when he was there, and he became my friend and mentor, and he told me a great piece of advice. He said, kid, there's no law says the says they got to read you. Make it fun. Make it mm. interesting. And he says, yeah, you can have a great first paragraph, but what are you going to do? when It's like the guy in front of the circus tent. He can get him in the circus, but the circus better be good. Make mm. it good all the way through. And and that really helped me. So Oscar uh, Oscar Wilde also is one of my favorites. I've been rereading him, and he's the guy that said, never write a sentence you've already read, mm. which is such a typical Oscar Wilde thing to say, but it really matters. Because <laughs> if you can sit there and take out your... Like, if you really honestly go through your copy and go, I know I've seen this sentence before. Ah, that's kind of a cliche. And take that out. Like, Murray, mm. used, to, Murray used to punch up Dragnet scripts. I don't know if you know this. There was a no. detective show called Dragnet. Yeah, and he used to punch them up. And so it'd be, it'd be like, uh, hey, hey, Joe, you really beat the crap out of that guy. And he, Murray would change it to, hey, Joe. Why you turn the guy into six feet of lumps? He looks like a science fiction story. What is that? You know, and, and it was just that kind of stuff. So, it would, so the pay, as Damon Runyon said, that's the other guy I've been rereading. Damon mm. Runyon said, you got to write sentences that jump off the page and squirt the reader in the eye with grapefruit juice. And it's like, <laughs> yes, yes, you want you want word pictures. And and um, and I've been rereading a lot of Twain, and he said, you know. I get paid by the word. Why should I type out municipality when I can say town? Mm. And it's so true. You know, you, you, you can just, you can just make it like a guy talking over a back fence to you. Only he's the funniest, clearest and, and most entertaining guy you've ever met. That's what writing should be. So I've been rereading PG Woodhouse. Uh, I've, I think I've read ball four now 20 times. I read, read, read that because that made me want to be a sports writer. Uh, Graham Greene, Hemingway. I mean, I'm just, I mean, in a lot of ways, and this is terrible, but a lot of this has been really interesting, you know, uh, sort of discovering stuff that you've forgotten. Yeah. No, I think that's what a lot of people have sensed. But it's also hard to, to do it, I find, because you get a little bit yeah. distracted or you feel guilty. Uh, why am I doing this? Or, or shouldn't I be following something on the news? And But you have to do it. Um, and it, and it's just so much better when it's, it's a, it's a printed book as opposed to a Kindle. And there's just something about popping in, popping out, just getting a, uh, just a feel. I mean, Murray, I, I do that all the time and it's, um, he's just one of a kind. You, you channel him so much in, in so many ways. The thing (laughs) that I loved about your most recent column, it reminded me of, and I don't, when you haven't been doing it a while, you you just it's so tight you you don't waste words as you just described uh is that something is that a skill that when you haven't done it in a while is tough yeah no it's just like it's it's like i always thought if if i was in prison um for 10 years and i came out to play golf i'd be really good at every putt within 10 feet because i could have putted in myself right yeah but terrible wouldn't know what to do with the 20 foot putter or the 40 foot putt right because I, but and that's the same. I grew up uh, at the Denver Pub, Boulder Camp, opposed Times SI, where you only had so much room. It was I had 850 words tops. Yeah. At, in on that back page column, and there's no changing. You don't suddenly like it's like a dog with an electric fence, and the owner dies, and now the electric fence is down, but he still won't leave the yard because you hmm. just I just can't go any farther, further, and um. 
I once had a conversation with Bill Simmons, who's, you know, he's, he's a legend, but in a whole different way, because he just goes on and on and on. He grew up, <laughs> he came up in the space is infinite. Yeah. And I'm like, Bill, this was really good, except you did 10,000 words on why Kevin Garnett should be the MVP. I mean, really? 10,000? I said, you're, you're such a good writer, but you need a busload of editors. He goes, <laughs> no, no. He goes, I like to write stream of consciousness. My and I said, but nobody has time for 10,000 words. It's no. a problem. And he said, no, my readers skim me. And I'm like, Bill, I don't think Hemingway ever wanted to be skimmed. But I yeah. mean, it is. A, so, you know, you and I are sitting here going, oh, it's not the same not holding a book in your, in your hands. But in 40 years, people who grew up on Kindles and reading off their phones are going to say to young people, I don't like, I don't like it when the book is on your contact lenses and you blink to change pages. <laughs> I, I, I miss having a phone in my hand. You know what I mean? We just sound yeah, old yeah. when we talk about, about hardcover books. Yeah, but, but it is fun to see. We, we obsess about data in our world, but it is nice that there, one, there's data. The only nice thing about modern internet writing is that there is data telling people that at a certain number of words, people are not really continuing to read. Uh, they can right. they can just they can figure that out, and then there's plenty of data telling us that that ebooks hit a peak, and now we're coming back to print a little bit more, and people do cherish. So sometimes the the numbers people are able to to help the cause, and there is just something different about the written word in either a magazine or or a book that I right. I love. Um, Speaking of data, though, I always say this to young writers when they ask for advice. Me, I try never to put a number in my column. Numbers, just people's eyes numbers. start glazing oh. over. Numbers, I hate stats. And, oh, you oh. know, in, in non-majors on Thursdays, he's ranked 63rd. <laughs> no one cares. Tell me about him and his caddy and his wife and how his dad hated the game. Give me stories. I hate the number. That's why I think, I think NFL and analysis, analyzing is so bad because they just want to do numbers and roll-up zones and the double dime and, Tell me about the guy and his kids and how he almost, you know, quit the game. And as much as you want to talk about Howard Cosell was full of it, and he was mean. He was the meanest, probably the meanest person I ever met. <laughs> he was able to tell stories. He was like, what a moment for this man who uh, two years ago was sitting in a jail cell. You know, whatever. <laughs> he told stories. And, we, and for some reason... Troy Aikman and, and people like that don't seem to want to tell stories. They just want to, they just want to talk about numbers and technique, which I think the average guy doesn't care about. Yeah, well, that's business related. And, and unfortunately, golf is going to keep going in that direction because of gambling and shot link, which is wonderful. But as you know, golf is a different sport with numbers just because you don't know who woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whose wife yelled at him before he left the hotel room. <laughs> right, I mean, right. Shot link doesn't account for those kinds of things. And no sport does that impact you more than golf because you're alone. You're, you're on your own. You're playing by yourself. It's just you and your caddy. And, and right. your mind is, is so in control of so many things you do. But at the same time, they're fun, but yeah, I understand your point. Sorry, but it reminds me of uh, for my book, Who's Your Caddy? I spent a week caddying on the LPGA Tour, and I had a, a woman named Jill McGill, who, whose regular caddy was her live-in boyfriend. And so he was still there, too. And I'm like, what's that like? I mean, you're kind of working for her, but you're also living together, and you're on the road together. And he goes, well, 
it's kind of hard. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, <laughs> well, like some days we'll have a fight, like in the morning at breakfast, and we'll be out there and we're not talking. And about the seventh hole, she'll say, well, what club do you think it is? And I'll say, five iron. And she'll go, five iron? I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> My God. She's <laughs> crying. And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> it's a bad mix. Oof, that is a tough, uh, a tough, and there's still a few of those couples out there. Not many though. Um, are there? They've got, they're, they're, they're a couple or, or they, they caddy for another player now. Uh, some of them have gotten wise to that. So that's, that's a good idea. Uh, another book I wanted to ask you about missing links. One of my very, very favorite books. It says on your website that it was optioned. Is that correct? Does it ever have a chance of being made into a film? So we could have a golf movie that is uh, watchable? Uh, okay, Missing Links was about four guys playing the worst golf course in America, which happened to be the course next to the fancy course where they hold the U.S. Opens and stuff. And when the U.S. Opens right. and the Ryder Cups come, they park, they park the cars on this crappy course. And they really resent that. And then they find a hole in the hedge between the two courses and make a bet who can get on there and play 18 holes. And of course, they sell each other out. It's it's all just it's supposed to be fun, but it's also a little bit about friendship. So anyway, it no, and it wasn't option. It's been optioned seven okay. times. Oh, seven times, <laughs> and and it was a uh, we got uh, one time. How does, it was that, how, how does that even happen? Wait, 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 wait. How does that even happen? How how is a book? Uh, what does it expire? The option? Well, that's yeah. that's incredible. Eighteen months. You're not that old. Eighteen months, and you get it back. Yeah. Okay. So 18. eighteen months. It came out, I think, in '97, <laughs> and right away, um, it got optioned uh, for a TV show on ABC. So mm. they go start film the TV show, and I get to the set, and here's it, 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 this is a golf course, which I just dreamed up in my head with like a a, a planted Chevy 57 Chevy right in front of the third tee and a dog leg par three and ridiculous stuff. And it's right there in front of me. It was like walking around inside your imagination. And, and then I said, okay, who wrote it? And they said, well, this guy, Kevin Wade. And, I, and that's all. Yeah. Just him. So I meet Kevin Wade. He's never played golf. Uh, yeah. So he had the guys saying stuff like, what's your card today? Tex. And, you know, using pink tees and it was just a disaster. So then it got bought by uh, for a movie by uh, Mel Gibson. Um, I think Clooney bought it, Ray Liotta. And uh, the, light, the latest was, or two times ago, it was Steve Carell, who loves golf, and he was going to do it, film it on a Brockton, Massachusetts course where he grew up. Wow. And every time something, as I say, 97.3% of Hollywood is the, is the word no. <laughs> so, yeah. so we've now seven times, right now another guy's got it. And he's trying to get the Murrays involved, and I hope they are. But you just have to go, well, it was a really fun book. It's still a fun book. If it's never a movie, what can we do? I wonder why, and now I know why, why golf movies are generally not good or don't get made. And and you've probably touched on the real reason that they end up butchering. But as you know, there's so many people in Hollywood who play golf, love golf, know golf, and then they somehow can't seem to get it to translate in a fun way on the screen, except really Caddyshack. I can tell you why. One reason is, so I, I hear about it all the time. You know, I, I belong to a country club and there's a lot of meat. Oh, Missing Link is my favorite. Hey, what's ever happened? Could we option it? Fine, option it. You know, and you get your 20 grand for 18 months or 25 grand or whatever. And 
The problem is the producers all think, well, I'm not going to do another Caddyshack because it won't be as good. Like it's not a right. Caddyshack. It's a story about friendship. It's swingers for golf. Remember swingers? That's what it yeah. is. It's, you're entering that world of golf and gamblers, guys who take the bus to get to the golf course and, you know, bet money they don't have and all that sort of stuff. And so, but they're hung up on Caddyshack and then they either want to make another Caddyshack, which is a bad idea, or they're afraid of Caddyshack, which is also a bad idea, or they try to mimic Tin Cup, which was fine, but I mean, it's, it's its own beast. And, but I was, I was uh, heartened by the making of Harriet Tubman's story, which sat around <laughs> Hollywood for 35 years. So we're only 23 years. So we got some years to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I hope it happens. I love the book and uh, I love all your writing and uh, I can't wait to see what you have next and, and what you're cooking up. And uh, thank you so much for, for your time today. If I don't get golf back pretty soon, I might have to take up <laughs> tennis. I don't know what to do. Ooh. <laughs> I can't do that, but you know what I mean? Jeez. <laughs> thanks, Rick. Hey, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Hey, quick break here. Let's hear from our sponsors. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Rick. Uh, a lot of fun. Always enjoyable to hear his thoughts. I think he's uh, one of the great talents in the history of sports writing, and it's uh, an honor to have him on the show. I will put together show notes with information on nothing but nets. That's just staggering. $70 million raised. Uh, started with a column in SI. Just incredible. Anyway, and uh, the, the new book, I will link to bookshop.org, as I think I've mentioned on a few other podcasts where we've talked to authors, and i got more authors coming. Great way to help support local bookshops during this time. They've raised now $1.1 million. They discount the books. They're distributed by uh, Ingram. They get them from there, which is the main distributor. And Rick's book there, Commander-in-Chief, is in paperback now, as I believe Missing Links is also available. They're still in print. I'll double-check on that. But anyway, uh, check out the show notes. I'll link some of the other things we chatted about. And uh, I'll be back very soon with another author I'm looking forward to talking to. And I think you'll enjoy as well here on The Shack Show. And uh, once again, as always, thank you to the show's producer, Tim Parachka, and to all the good people at iHeartRadio, because The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. And remember, for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Talk to you soon. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.